go to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2. So we started uh, a verse-by-verse journey through the book of Luke back at the beginning of Advent and did all the Christmas story part. Um, But now we're just going to continue on in that. This is going to be what we're in for the next several months. And over the next couple years, we're going to be covering the entire book of Luke um, and just learning more about who Jesus is and why we believe in him. And so today we're going to see that chapter 2. Verses 21 through 38 this morning is where we're going to be covering with what are you waiting for? Well, um, we had been waiting um, for months and months and months. Uh, in fact, the last month felt like a year <laughs> at that point. Uh, we've been waiting so long and uh, we tried all the trips, the tips, we tried all the tricks, we did everything we could to speed things up and it just wasn't happening. Um, and every day just sitting there wondering like when... When is she finally going to get here? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, as usual, it was time. Courtney started having contractions, it was late in the evening, and it looked like our first child was on the way. So we frantically loaded everybody into the car, and I drove 80 miles an hour to the hospital across these dark, pitch black country roads, uh, because the hospital was about 40 minutes away from where we were living at the time. And my absolute greatest fear was that I would be delivering a baby on the side of the road next to the cornfield and all the cows. Okay, like I'm, I don't do well with medical stuff, and that was not. So like we, were, we got there in record time, I'm pretty sure, and uh, we made it to the hospital safely, and Eliana came the next day, and the wait was over. And as I held our firstborn daughter in my arms, I experienced a joy that I had never known. And finally, the wait was worth it. As I think, though, back over those months of waiting, we weren't just waiting. We weren't just, it wasn't just wasted time, right? It wasn't just free time, just kind of doing whatever. We did a lot of preparation during those months of waiting, right? Like we were reading books. We were going to doctor's visits. We were taking classes. We were getting the nursery ready. We were buying all the gear, like We had all this stuff we were doing preparing for her to come so that when she got here, that we would be able to love and serve our new baby well. In fact, I think there were a lot of things that maybe took a back seat during those months as we were preparing and focused on her arrival. And I know many of you have had that experience as parents. If you're not a parent, maybe you've had it with some other milestone in your life that you've been waiting for something for months and months. You've been preparing for it. You've been getting ready for this thing, and then it finally arrives That is a great picture of what the Christian life should be. That right now, if if you're saved, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are waiting. You are just waiting for Jesus to come and to take us all home to be with him. Right? But while we wait, we're not meant to just wait. We're also meant to prepare in the waiting for Jesus as he comes. And how we wait matters. How we use this time, this season of waiting on Christ matters in how we follow Jesus. And that's what we're going to see in the text today is that we need to assess from these New Testament saints example how we're waiting, right? How I wait reveals what I am worshiping. How I wait reveals what I am actually worshiping with my life on a day-to-day basis. 
So, with that in mind, let's jump into the text. Look at verse 21. Luke chapter 2 starts off, it says, At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. All right, point number one this morning as we look at Mary and Joseph is believing means obeying while waiting. Believing means obeying while we wait on the Lord. We see that here first with Joseph and Mary, right? It says that they continued in faithful obedience to God despite the newly revealed identity of their son. Remember, the shepherds just told him, like, hey, this is the guy. This is the Messiah. Like, they, the angel told him, like, they're, they're finally starting to catch on who Jesus really is here. But that, just because they now are going to be the parents or they were the parents of the Messiah, they did not start to presume on God or on his word. They did not presume on his favor. Like, now we no longer have to worry about following the law and doing all this stuff and obeying God because now we got special status, right? Like, we're, we're the parents of the Messiah, right? Like, I don't have to do that anymore. They didn't think that way. They didn't presume on his timing. Now the Messiah's here, so obviously things are going to change, right? The, all that Old Testament stuff, that's done away with. We got a new person. We're following him now. They didn't, they didn't presume on God's timing. They didn't presume on his plan, that surely this is God's own son. He won't require all the extra stuff of him, right? He's different. They didn't do any of that. They just continued in faithful obedience to God until he told them what the next thing was that he wanted them to do. And so we see them go through a lot of Jewish customs in these couple of verses right here. Let me kind of point them out for you. It says at the end of eight days that Jesus was circumcised, right? This fulfills God's command that all Jewish sons should be circumcised as a sign of his covenant with the nation of Israel. This goes all the way back to Genesis 17, 12. And the point of the covenant was to tell them, like, hey, I'm redeeming you out of the earth, out of sinfulness, out of your place to be my people. Right? And so circumcision was a sign, a reminder of that redemption that God had given to Israel. And Mary and Joseph, they didn't simply dismiss this for Jesus because he was also, by the way, God's son. So maybe he didn't have to do that, right? Like he doesn't really need the redemption part. But they still did it because they were just obeying God's word. And in doing so, not knowingly, they actually fulfill a later scripture in Galatians 4, 4 through 5. Think about this. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, right, under the law, so he had to follow the law just like everyone else, he had to be circumcised just like everyone else, to redeem those who were under the law so that he might receive, that we might receive adoption as sons. So in the circumcision, Luke is pointing us back to the redemption of God through Jesus Christ. His emphasis here, though, is actually not even on the circumcision. Do you see the way the sentence is written? It's kind of just like a passing thought. His actual emphasis is not on the circumcision, but on the naming of Jesus. It says that they named him just as the angel said, and we know that the name of Jesus means God saves. Again, pointing us to the redemption of Christ for us. 
This also highlights Mary and Joseph's continued obedience to the Lord while they were waiting on the next instruction. I think about it, like, they're brand new parents to the Son of God. Again, they have no idea what they're doing. They don't know what's coming next. God hasn't given them any further instructions. The only thing God has told them so far is, hey, name him Jesus. And so they're like, I guess that's all we can do right now. So they just, they name him Jesus and they wait, they wait for God to tell them what's next. And they're obedient while they wait. Sometimes the only thing you can do in following the Lord is just take the next step of obedience. Like you don't know what's coming five years or ten. You're like, sometimes all we can do is just be faithful to believe that God is who he says he is and just take the next step of obedience. Next it says that the time came for their purification. This is another Old Testament uh, law that in Leviticus 12, it says that women, after they gave birth, that they should go to the priest uh, for purification 33 days after the circumcision of the son. And when they went, they were supposed to bring two sacrifices, right? One, a lamb for a burnt offering, which was just supposed to be an act of worship to the Lord, and then either a, a dove or a pigeon for a sin offering that would cover their sins and cleanse them and purify them at that point. However, if you were too poor to afford a lamb, you could bring two pigeons or two doves for the burnt offering as well. And that's what we see here with Mary and Joseph, right? It says that they brought two birds instead of a lamb, pointing us again to the fact that they were not wealthy, right? They, they did not have means. They were, they were, money was tight <laughs> in their home. And yet they brought the sacrifice to the Lord as another reminder of the redemption that was necessary. That blood had to be shed to cover our sins. We see that here with the purification ritual for Mary. And then it says this, it says, Also they came to present him to the Lord. As it says, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Pointing us to a third fulfillment of God's word back in Exodus chapter 13. This is right after um, God has delivered them from Pharaoh and from Egypt, right? And in verse 2, it says, Consecrate, this is God speaking, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first opened the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Then down in verse 12, it says, You shall set apart to the Lord all the first, uh, I'm sorry, all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey shall re- you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. For every firstborn man among your sons, you shall redeem. And when in time to come, your son asks you, this is the key right here, what does this mean? Like, why are we doing this, Dad? <laughs> like, why do we keep doing this? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Luke just keeps banging on the drum of redemption around Jesus Christ. The reason the males were dedicated to the Lord was to remind the people how God redeemed them from Egypt, how he saved them, how he brought them out into the promised land. And here, 
Jesus himself is going to be dedicated as this ongoing reminder to every generation that God rescues his people. That he is the one who redeems us. Just as he did in Egypt. And so Luke here, he highlights this as a foreshadowing of the greater redemption that is coming one day through Christ himself. Jesus here is redeemed as a baby, but he will ultimately be the redeemer of all of us as he goes to the cross as the Passover lamb, pointing back to Egypt. Furthermore, it says here that when they did this, that they went to the temple to do the ceremony, which really was above and beyond. Like most families didn't do that. They didn't go to the temple for this. They could go to any local synagogue in any town to have this purification ritual to dedicate the son and all the things. But Mary and Joseph, they chose to go to the temple because they wanted to They wanted to go above and beyond. They wanted to show that they had the greatest devotion to the Lord in raising Jesus and in following the call that they'd been given. They wanted to obey the Lord to the utmost. Sometimes I think if we're honest, we kind of, we want to just kind of, just kind of obey God. Like we want to just kind of just obey just enough to like make sure we're good but then do our own thing. Mary and Joseph, they wanted to obey to the utmost for the Lord. And so when I look at Mary and Joseph here, they, they, they could have come up with a whole list of excuses as to why they couldn't obey what God said to do. Right? They had a litany of excuses as to why this wasn't the right time or why we couldn't do this or we couldn't do that. Like, like, hey, we're in Bethlehem. We're all the way, we're away from home. We're away from our family. Like, sh- we want them to be a part of the special ceremony and to get to see the thing and name the baby. Like, surely we need to wait until they can be there. So maybe we'll do it later. But they didn't make that excuse. Or again, they were poor. Right? Like, God, we're just too poor. We can't financially do it. We're, not, we're unable to give the sacrifice, the worship that you've told us to give. Or certainly God understands our special circumstances, right? Like there was a census and we had to travel and there's taxes and, and we've got like, you know, we're not even married yet. Like it's just, it's just, we got a lot, God. There's a lot going on right now. And so like you got to let us get this other stuff figured out first and then we can maybe talk about what you want us to do. Or again, maybe we should just get an exception, right? Because after all, he is the Messiah. So can maybe we just skip some of this? Like, surely that doesn't apply to us. They could have come up with a host of excuses as to why they shouldn't have to obey what God had told them to do. But they didn't do any of that. They just faithfully followed and obeyed and waited for God to tell them what was next. The other day I was uh, coming home from work and I called Courtney and was just kind of checking in on things. And she said, well, actually, I'm out running some errands right now. And, but I left the girls at home with a list of chores they were supposed to have done. And, and she said, you, you need to have these done before I get home. She's like, so when you get home, can you just check on them and see, you know, how things are going? And just kind of like, yeah, I can do that. Not a problem. So I get, find, get home, pull up, open the garage door, pull in the garage, park the car, start to walk into the house. And as soon as I open the door to the house, I hear this frantic movement 
all over the house. They're like, whoa, whoa. And, like, all this, like, and, the, and I, I walk in, and they're like, oh, I thought you were mom. And they were frankly trying to get done all the things that they had not yet started because they thought they had more time. Right? Like, like, we don't have to do that yet. We can wait and do that later. And we'll just kind of rush real quick and get it done right. We'll obey, but we'll obey right before mom gets home, right before we have to. And I think we've all done that before, right, with something, something at work, something at home, something like we wait and we wait and we wait. Some people today, that's, that's their plan with God, right? That's their plan. They're, they're like, I, I believe in him. I, I know that I, I probably even need his help. Like, I, I need him to, to, to save me. I, I, I get all that, but I, I don't really want that right now. Right now, I want to live my life. I want, I want to do this. I want to do that. Like, I, I don't really want to have to worship him and to, like, commit and to follow and serve. Like, I want to do my thing now. And then, I'll, like, right before I die, right before it's too late, then I'll believe. Then I'll obey and follow the Lord. I mean, God couldn't possibly expect me to obey right now. I mean, look at my circumstances. Look at my finances. Look at... Look at these other obligations. Look at my life. I can't, I can't do it right now, but later, I'll just wait until later, and then right before the deadline, I'll slide in there. Friends, if, if that's your mentality, if that's your heart towards the Lord, let me just tell you this morning, that is not saving faith. It's not. That is not what it means to follow Jesus. That's trying to play games with God. Let me just tell you, you will never beat him. You will never play games with God and win. I don't wait to obey. I wait while I obey. If you're a follower of Jesus, if that's what you call yourself as a Christian, We don't wait to obey until we have to or until it's the last minute or until we can't get away with it any longer. We obey while we're waiting, the whole time that we're waiting on God to come and to show us the next thing or to take us to the next place or for Jesus to return. So we see Mary and Joseph that they obeyed while they waited. But there's a second character we want to look at too. Look at verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Number two, believing means serving while waiting. 
serving while waiting. So we have Simeon here. And Luke's description of Simeon is that he was a righteous and devout man. Now, if you know anything about Simeon, like traditionally in the church, a lot of times he's thought of as a priest. He's thought to be a priest. Um, He's thought to be very old in his age and and near death. Um, It actually doesn't say either one of those things anywhere in the text. Right? It never actually says that about him. In fact, what Luke emphasizes here is not his position and not his age. What he emphasizes is his character. That he is righteous and that he is devout before the Lord. Meaning that he's lived a life of loving service to God. It also says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Okay? Consolation means comfort. That's all that means. So he was waiting for the comfort of Israel, which was a, a circumlocation to just describe the coming of the Messiah. Right? He was waiting for the Messiah to show up and to rescue his people and to save them and to, to free them from oppression and all these great things. That was the focus. That was the purpose of his whole life. Was looking for and waiting for the ministry of the Messiah. It also says that the Holy Spirit was upon him, which was extremely rare in those days, right? The Holy Spirit hadn't yet come and indwelled believers. So this was like signified that he had a special calling on his life. And specifically, the Holy Spirit had told him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, before he had seen the Messiah. And this wasn't just for his sake. It wasn't just for his own personal comfort or his own, like, you know, gain in some way. But rather, it was all part of God's plan, his providence saying, hey, I have a special job for you. I have a special place for you in my plan. And it's going to come when you see the Messiah face to face. And so it says on that day that he came in the Spirit into the temple. Right? In other words, the Spirit had to lead him into the temple that day. He wasn't normally going to be there. Right? He, it wasn't like his, his daily ritual to just go to the temple. Right? Which again signifies he probably wasn't a priest. Because the Spirit had to tell him, like, hey, today, go to the temple. Right? And so he goes and he encounters the couple um, together. Right? They're still together at this point when he's talking to them, which means that they were probably either in the, the court of the Gentiles or the court of women, not in the holy place of the temple, which women were not allowed to go into, where the priests would be serving. Again, probably not a priest. So when I'm looking at this, like, Simeon, by all accounts, seems to be just like a normal, everyday, average Joe kind of guy that is serving God with his whole life. Sometimes I think we get it twisted in church today that there are only certain people who have been called to special ministry that serve God with their whole life, and it's not something that's required for all Christians. Simeon's a great example that for all of us, no matter what you're calling, no matter what your role is, God calls us to serve him with our whole life. So Simeon here, through the influence of the Spirit, starts to prophesy over Jesus. Um, and, and this was really his purpose, right? Like It wasn't just to see Christ, but it was to prophesy over Christ and God to use him to speak this. But he starts like this. He says, now I can depart in peace which is just kind of a strange way to start the prophecy, right? Like, great, now I can die. Um, that's basically what he says. Like, all right, I'm, I'm done. My life is over now that I've seen the, the Christ, right? But, but what he means here is that, like, this is, this is the last thing on my list, right? This is what I've been waiting for. Now that I can complete my service to God, 
I'm ready to go home. This got me thinking about uh, a movie back from like the, the mid-2000s um, called The Bucket List. Does anybody remember this movie? There was these, it was about these two guys, and they were both terminally ill, and they meet, and they become friends, and they have like one year to live, right? So they make this list of all these things that they want to do before they kick the bucket, hence the, the bucket list, right? And so they, they go on this big journey, and they, the last year of their life, they, they skydive, and they drive all these fast cars, and they visit these foreign cities, and they eat all these fancy dinners, and they do all this stuff. And it's a funny movie, and there's certainly nothing wrong with, you know, having some of that stuff, some of those goals in your life. But, but in the end, none of those adventures, none of those achievements actually mattered. It didn't get them where they wanted to go. It didn't help them in any way. You will never spend one moment of your afterlife wishing Ah, I wish I would have visited one more city. I wish I would have done one more thing. I wish I would have achieved this. I w- That's not what you're going to be thinking about. You will never regret the things that you didn't get to do on this earth. But you may regret, you probably will regret, not doing everything that God has called you to do. Simeon His bucket list was not visiting a new continent or skydiving or seeing his grandkids or even his great-grandkids. He had one thing on his bucket list. It was serve the Lord and then go be with him. He wasn't seeking his peace in anything else that this world has to offer. He said, I can depart in peace once I have served the Lord. So he starts to prophesy about this, and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, meaning the Messiah, right? Jesus is God's means of salvation for the world. He says, so I've seen your salvation, and not just for the Jews, he says, but for all peoples, which is really awesome news for most of us, okay? Because we're not in that Jewish category. And he says, no, no, it's for all people, it's for everyone. He gets more specific, he says, it's a revelation to the Gentiles, a revelation of truth and grace so that they can believe and be saved. And it's glory for the Jews, for Israel, because Jesus is the manifestation of God on the earth, his glory coming down in the form of a man. This is at the heart of the gospel that we still love and believe and cherish today. That God came down in all of his glory, he came down in the form of a man. He came down as the person of Jesus and he walked the streets just like us. And he lived a perfect and sinless life. And then he went to the cross and he died a sinner's death. He gave his life to pay for our sin. He stood in our place, he took our condemnation, he took the wrath that we deserved and he went into the grave And then three days later, he rose back to life to prove that he was God and to offer us redemption. To be saved from our sin, to be redeemed back to a holy God. All of us who are sinners, all of us who have rebelled against God can be saved through faith, through believing in Jesus Christ. 
the one God sent to redeem. And so Simeon is like the first one to really proclaim this gospel after Christ's birth. And he goes on to tell Mary, he says, there are many who are, or I'm sorry, your son is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Really in the whole earth for that matter, right? That many will, some will believe and they will rise to faith in Christ. Some will not believe, they will reject and they will fall deeper into their sinful state. He says also that he's appointed for a sign opposed. Again, already foreshadowing the crucifixion that's coming, the, 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 the torture and the death that he will have to endure. And then he says, for Mary, this sword will pierce your own soul. What's interesting there in the Greek, the word sword there is not like a small knife or dagger. It's like the big double-edged broadsword. Like this is going to be a major pain and devastation to Mary to see her innocent son murdered and crucified. And he says all of this so that many hearts may be revealed. You see, every time someone encounters Jesus, their heart is revealed. One way or another. When you encounter Jesus, your heart is revealed to either be a heart of faith, who believes and is saved and falls on his grace, or a heart that rejects And turns away and falls deeper into sin and wrath. There is no in-between with Jesus. There's no in-between. And so Simeon's prophecy here, his message, his this long-awaited purpose to declare the Messiah, to preach the gospel before he died, it finally comes. And let me, friends, let me tell you, there, there is no greater purpose for our lives. There, there is no greater service that we can give to the Lord than this. Simeon spent his whole life in faithful service to God, waiting to fulfill this purpose. This was his end game. This was the only thing on his list. He's like, let me just serve the Lord, and then I can go in peace. Peace will not come to your life, to your heart, through any worldly accomplishment or achievement or experience. It only comes when we fulfill our purpose to serve and to glorify the God who made us. So let me ask you this question. What are you waiting on to depart in peace? What are you waiting on? I know some people don't like to think about that. Like, I don't want to think about death and that's coming. And, but, like, this is an important question for us as believers. What are you waiting on to depart in peace? Maybe think about it this way. Complete this sentence. Before I die, I want to blank. How would you fill that in? I mean, there might be more than one answer. That's fine. But like, before I die, I want to, what would be on that list for you? And if there's anything on that list that's higher than I want to love and serve and fulfill my calling to the Lord, if there's anything higher than that answer, then you have an idol in your life. You have something else that you're loving and serving and worshiping more than Jesus. I want to get married. 
I don't. I'm already married. But some of you might be thinking that. I want to have kids. I want to get a house. I want to start a business. I want to I hold an office. I want to, whatever your things are, like, not bad things. But if any of those things are higher on the list, then I want to serve Jesus with my entire life. Then you're worshiping the wrong thing. For believers, our highest desire must be to serve the Lord as we wait to see him face to face. So what are you waiting on to depart in peace? So as we wait, we obey, we serve, and then we have one more character right here at the end. She just kind of slides in at the last minute here. Look at verse 36. It says, there was a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Last one, believing means worshiping while waiting. Believing means worshiping while waiting. So we have Anna here. It says that she's a prophetess, which was pretty cool. Like that was a, a special calling and very rare in the Bible. And, uh, but it also says that she was advanced in years. Um, so her and Elizabeth were holding it down. And they are doing their thing, right? And she's been a widow here for over 60 years, if you do the math, right? Like she's been a widow for at least 60 years. And in that time period, in that culture, that was tough, Right? She was a single-aged female, and many people looked at her and said, you have no status, you have no means, you have no value, you have no hope for the future. Most people would have written her off. But that didn't matter to Anna. It says that she did not depart from the temple night and day. She spent her whole life just worshiping God. Through prayer and fasting, it says. Devoting every minute of every day to serving and worshiping the Lord. Worshiping God was not just one of the things on her list for the week. It wasn't just one of the things on her list for the day. It was what she gave every moment of her life to. Was worshiping the Lord. And as a result... She got a special assignment from God. In fact, we see that both with Simeon and with Anna. They both were wholly devoted to the Lord, serving and worshiping Him. And we see here that devotion to God leads us into His manifest presence. Devotion to God leads us into His manifest presence. If you want to experience more of God in your life. It's all about devotion. It's about making him the center and the focus of everything. I know you still have to work. You still have to pay bills. You still have to feed your family. You still have to take care of the kids. We all have stuff we still have to do, and that's fine. But we can do all of that while we are worshiping the Lord. And we look at how Anna responds here as she gets called into the presence 
of Jesus deeper into the presence of God. Two things she did. First, it says she gave thanks to God. Because God's presence, more of God's presence, always leads to more worship. It's just this kind of like cycle, right? Like we worship and we get more of his presence and we worship more and it just keeps building and building and building. And if your time with God is not leading you into deeper worship of God, then you're not truly experiencing his presence. You're just going through the motions. You're just doing the religious checklist. You're just whatever the thing is. But if you are not experiencing deeper worship of the Lord, then you're not actually experiencing his presence. Because it always leads us to deeper worship. So she thanked God in worship, and then she spoke of him to all. Because likewise, more of his presence also leads us to more witness. When you experience more of God's presence, you can't help but tell people about it. It just flows out of you. And so if you're not being led to proclaim his gospel more and more each day, then again, you are not experiencing the presence of God. You're just going through the motions. And that's not worship. Friends, we have no greater purpose in this life than to worship and witness about Jesus. That is our calling, that is our purpose. That's why we were created. To give glory to God in everything that we do. Anything less than that misses the mark. And waiting to do that until after we do something else or pursue other things is not faith. It's false faith that will not get you anything when Jesus comes. Worship is our purpose and witness is our proof. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, worship is our purpose and witness is our proof. That's how we know. If you truly believe, both of those things will be dominant themes in your life. And not just later, not just when you grow up, or not just when you get this done or that done, but like right now. Right now. Worship and witness. So what are you waiting for? How I wait reveals what I'm worshiping. How I wait for Christ's return, for him to come and his future glory reveals if I truly believe and if I truly worship him, right? Am I filled with obedience to God's word? Is my life filled with service to God's kingdom? Is my life filled with worship of God's son? If that's not true for you, you need to ask, what am I waiting for? What's between me and the Lord? What's stopping this from growing in the presence of God? Because if you're not waiting for that, then you're waiting for something else, which means you're also worshiping something else. Stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
You are our only hope for this life. You are our only hope for eternity. And so God, we are waiting on you. We're here. We're waiting for your return to deliver us from this world of sin, to deliver us from this world of struggle. But until that day comes, Lord, help us. Help us not to wait wrongly. Help us to wait in obedience and in service and in worship to make you our focus, to make you the purpose of every minute of every day, Lord. We want to see you. We want to live in your presence. We want to live want to live with you. Help us wait. Help us wait well. By your wondrous grace, turn our eyes. Help us, Lord, to be wholly fixed on Jesus. We pray all this in Christ's name.